Hey, good morning. My name is Benger. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here at Flourishing Grace. How are you guys doing this morning? Yeah? All right. Um, I'm going to start off today uh, with a quote before we kind of uh, dive in. Um, Sam Harris is a noted um, atheist and author, um, wrote uh, many books, uh, including the bestseller, The End of Faith, which kind of tells you a little bit about where he's coming from. And um, a few years ago, Sam Harris did a video for a website called Big Think, and um, it was just a bunch of people kind of sharing their thoughts on death. And this is what Sam Harris um, had to say. He said, if we live long enough, we lose everyone we love in this world. I mean, people die and disappear And we're left with this stark mystery, the sheer not knowing what happened to them. And into this void, religion comes rushing in with a very consoling story, saying nothing happened to them, they're in a better place, and you're going to meet up with them after you die. There's no question that if you could believe it, that would pay emotional dividends. There's no other story you can tell somebody who's just lost her daughter to cancer to make her feel good. Then he goes on to say, you tell your child that then your grandma's in heaven and there's nothing to be sad about. That's religion. It would be better to equip your child for the reality of this life, which is death is a fact and we don't know what happens after death. It's heavy. Some of you, you know who you are, you, you hear that, you read something like that, and you are ready for debate. Like, who are the debaters in the room? Anybody in here? Man, usually you're like, loud. Maybe this isn't the debate gathering. Maybe that's the 11 o'clock. I'm not sure. Um, some of you, maybe some of you watching online, um, you may not agree with everything that Sam Harris says about death, but there's a part of you that's kind of nodding along, and you're like, wow, some of that sounds, or maybe you've been hurt, or maybe you've wondered if this is all true. Um, my reaction to this quote is this. It actually doesn't have much to do with exactly what Sam Harris said. My reaction is this. I'm not sure, and, and I'll just kind of pick on our culture, Western Christianity, American Christianity. I'm not sure that many, or maybe even most, Western Christians know, who would call themselves follower of Jesus, know how to respond to something like this from a biblical worldview. They, they, would, they would see something like this, they would read something like this, and, and, and they would say, I'm not sure how to respond to that. Because if we're honest, many times the only time we talk about heaven is like at funerals, and boy, grandma's in a better place. So-and-so's in a better place. I bet they're fishing. I bet they're riding roller coasters. I bet they're doing whatever they enjoyed to do. Because in our framework, sometimes the most we ever think about heaven, even as followers of Jesus, is that if you follow Jesus, then that's where you get to go to be happy after you die. And that's the end of it. Now, I don't want to pull a bait and switch because we're not going to be able to give a full framework of eternity or a full theological framework of what happens after we die today. But we are in the third uh, week of the series, Sustaining Grace. And what we've been doing is we've been walking through this idea that it's not just God's grace that saves us, and it is, we talked about that, Austin talked about that the first week, but it's God's grace that sustains us through this life, through suffering, through brokenness, and sustains us through eternity. And the thing about followers of Jesus in our culture, many times when we hear the word grace, we kind of think, oh yeah, that's, 
That's what saved me. Like, we love the first verse of Amazing Grace. Well, yeah, I was, I was blind, but now I see. But we kind of forget the middle verses, that through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, our verse for this series um, has been Paul, uh, from Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, chapter 1, verse 6. And, and it goes like this. It'll be up on your screen, or if you're at home, it'll be on your screen there. He says, and I am sure of this, that he, meaning God, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, God began a good work. We talked about that first week. He is bringing it to completion in this life. We talked about that last week. And he will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of things before we dive in. Number one, this idea of grace. Like, if you're new to this whole church thing, um, this word grace really just means unmerited favor. Like, like, something that we receive, specifically in this context from God, that, that we really don't deserve. And again, many times, when we talk about grace in the church, what we mean and, and what we really kind of talk about is, is this beginning a relationship with Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for us, that we can begin a relationship with it. And so that's all grace. But, but we live, even as, even as followers of Jesus, many times we live as if the rest of it isn't grace. The rest of it isn't mercy. And we live as though maybe we could lose that love or if we do something wrong enough, or we are broken enough, or we respond to suffering in a way that, that, that isn't honoring, we can just lose it all. And, and that's not what grace is. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that sustains us. There's somebody here, maybe watching, that need to hear that this morning. Many times we walk through life, and especially as followers of Jesus, and maybe it's because of the home you grew up with. Maybe it's uh, maybe the kind of church you attended or, or maybe you didn't attend church as a child and you feel like, man, if I just slip up, I'm done. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that sustains us. doesn't mean we don't respond to that grace. But the reality is, if we surrender our lives to Jesus. If we are safe in Christ, we are safe in Christ forever. That is what sustaining grace is. And we're going to talk about that third piece, what it means that God will bring this good work to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Now this, this idea of the day of Jesus Christ is really quick. Paul um, uses, and he's kind of borrowing terms from, from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Bible, and, and there's kind of a big bucket that Paul means when he says something like the day of Christ, or the day of Christ Jesus, or the day of Jesus Christ, and, and there's a lot of things that fit in there. But in short, what it means is the day that we will see Jesus face to face. Sometimes Paul means it uh, in the way that, that when Jesus comes back again, sometimes he means it that when, when, when Jesus sits on his throne as the, the, the true judge of the universe, the king of kings. And, and so that word kind of encompasses all of this. But in short, it's just when we see Jesus face to face for eternity and we worship him around the throne forever, eternity. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And as we talk about beginning this framework of what it means to kind of understand what comes next, we're going to see a crucial piece today and that's where we're going to begin. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, the same book. Um, if you brought your Bible, you're going to want to open that up. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, you're here in the room. There's a blue Bible underneath your seat. You can grab that. Uh, we'll be on page 1085 in that Bible. Um, if you're at home, you can grab your Bible app, or all the verses will be on the screen as well. We're going to be in chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. 
Paul says brothers, and when he says brothers to kind of the whole congregation in Philippi, means brothers and sisters, that word means both brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Um, So Paul... As he begins this section, he's actually building on the section that comes before it in the rest of chapter 3. Paul has just shared a little bit of his story, and he's kind of talked about his background. Uh, if you don't know much about Paul, Paul was a religious leader, and, and he was actually against this, this Jesus, Jesus movement. He didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He didn't believe that, that as he looked at the Jewish scriptures that, Paul, that uh, Jesus could actually fit this, this mold of the Messiah. And so instead of uh, being a proponent of of this early church, he was an opponent. He would go from town to town, um, and, and he would arrest followers of Jesus, especially key leaders, and, and at one time, at least, he even oversaw their execution. And then Paul goes from being one of the biggest opponents of the early church to one of the biggest proponents of this movement, and he spends the rest of his life telling the known world about Jesus. And he has just said in the section before, he says, listen, I count everything that I did as loss, every good thing. And, and, and he did many. He was, he was the religious leader of religious leaders. He, he dotted every I. He crossed every T. He checked every box off the list. And he said, I count all of it as loss. What matters most, Paul says, is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Paul says, that is what keeps me now going. And then in 17, he continues that. And he says, okay, so this is what I want you to do. With everything I just told you, here's what I want you to do. Join in imitating me. Do this together. He's not just talking to one person. He's talking to a group of people. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, Paul says, listen. He's not, he's not uh, being prideful. He's just simply saying, listen. I know that everything in this world, everything I could accomplish, everything I could find pleasure in, in this world, is worthless. It's rubbish compared to Christ. And so now that I have discovered that, join one another in imitating me in that. Not because I'm so great, but because I have found the greatest treasure this universe has to offer, and it is Jesus Christ himself. And by the way, those among you who also follow that example, follow them as well. Paul wants them to treasure Christ above all else. He says, as I do that, imitate me. As I treasure Christ, imitate me. And then Paul's going to say, okay, I'm going to unpack this for you and tell you a little bit about what this looks like. Paul is about to give them two examples. One, a negative example. Uh, an example, this is what not to do. And, and then an example of what to do. And he starts with the negative example. This is what you don't do. So Paul says, for, based on what I just said, many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul says, listen, I've, I've told you stories. Like, you know, real people. 
I've told you how it's possible to get this wrong. And Paul isn't saying this in judgment. Paul's not saying this like, look at those people over there. Can you believe what they're doing? No, Paul is grieving. Paul is mourning because he knows where that path ends. He knows what it looks like when you don't treasure Christ above all else. And Paul in tears tells them, and this is what happens when you don't treasure Christ above all else. Paul says, let me tell you a little bit about what that looks like. Their end is destruction. The path that they're walking, right? They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, that's an interesting phrase, right? It's not enemies of God, not enemies of Jesus. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And here's why. It's not just that they are enemies of God. It's that Christ himself, in chapter 2, in this letter to the Philippians, Paul um, kind of gives them a beautiful poem. It might have even been a hymn that they sang together about how Jesus um, clothed himself with humanity. He left his divine rights behind. He clothed himself with humanity. He humbled himself to, to live on this earth, and then he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross, that our Savior would save us through his humility. And that is what the symbol of the cross means. And so when he says these people walk, Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. It's not just like, man, I'm not into what God is doing. It's that, if that's what it means, right? Paul has just told them, listen, we have the same mind that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus humbled himself to die for you. Be of the same mind. And they look at that example and they say, I'm not doing that. Certainly not following a weak Savior who does that, let alone someone who requires me to do that. Paul says their end is destruction. He says, I know where that road ends. He's tearful. Their God is their belly. Whatever they want. Like when you're hungry at night, nine o'clock at night, um, my favorite midnight snack is a goldfish. Second only in cereal, right? Uh, you know, when you're hungry and you're like, man, I, my, my belly's hungry. I need something. You go in the pantry and you find something. Well, their God is their belly. The thing that they serve the most is whatever they desire in that moment. Man, I want that. I want to attain that. I want that person. I want whatever it is. They just feed that desire. That is the driving motivator in their life. That is their idol. That is their God. That is what it looks like. And then he says their glory and their shame. They don't just do shameful things. They don't just, they don't just spurn the cross. But they celebrate it. They glory and they say, this is the best way to live and you should do it too. Man, Paul. Paul, these sound like bad people. These sound like the murderers. These, these, these sound like those people who take over spam email accounts and then they email your grandma and trick her into giving over thousands of dollars because they think, make, make her think that they've taken over your computer. Like these are the bad people in the world. Paul, who are these people? And Paul says, okay, let me tell you who these people are. The end of verse 19, with minds set on earthly things. That doesn't, doesn't seem so bad, does it? I mean, there's a lot of good things here, right? I mean, I, I drove a decent car here today. I had an amazing breakfast sandwich this morning. It was really good. Made it myself. That's right. What is Paul talking about? Is their mind is set on earth. He's not talking about, man, if there's something on earth that you desire and you enjoy. No, he's not talking about that. He's saying their mind is set on earthly things. Their, their laser focus attention, whatever they want, whatever they do, it's all earthly things. Every day they wake up to attain those things. That is the end goal. That is their finish line. That is all that they think about and all that they consider worthy of attaining in this 
world. Now, that'll make a little bit of sense in a minute as Paul moves on to the second example. Paul now gives us the positive example in verse 20. He says, but our citizenship, here's the positive example, is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is, the posit- this is what it looks like to treasure Christ above all else, is to realize our citizenship is in heaven. Now, this, this, this term citizenship, like we think, oh yeah, that's, that's nice. We, we belong to a far country, however you want to put it. The Philippians in Philippi, they were kind of an outpost of the Roman Empire, and they were very prideful that they had become a Roman colony such that if you were a citizen of Philippi, you could become, not everybody could, but it was possible at least to become a citizen of Rome. And then Philippi, man, they, you thought people who were like from Texas were proud, okay? And then the people from Philippi, they were proud. And Paul said, no, 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 your citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, have you ever waited for something? That's a silly question, Pastor. Of course we would. I know, I'm just trying to make a point here. Have you ever waited for something? Yes. You ever notice how when you're waiting for something, even if on your phone, even if you're trying to distract yourself a long time, days, weeks, years, or maybe you're just sitting in a waiting room, whatever you're waiting for still remains the main event, even if you can't do anything about it in the moment. Um, Jennifer and I, we have friends who last week um, adopted a couple of boys from Haiti. Now, this adoption journey for them has been going on for years. It, it, they just felt led, they felt called to adopt, and so there's, there's years of kind of discerning it, figuring out, going through the application, deciding on a country. They eventually decided to adopt internationally from Haiti. And then finally, a year and a half ago, they got a call from their adoption agency and said, hey, you have been matched with a couple of boys in an orphanage in Haiti. And so a couple weeks later, they were able to go down July of, ni- of 2019. Not 2020, July of 2019. They got to go down, meet their boys, spend a couple of weeks with them, square away some things. And then because of the bureaucracy of international adoption, they went back to Texas. And they waited almost a year and a half before they got to go back and see their boys again and bring them home. Now, it was kind of fun to, to see into this process because even though that was difficult, they've got two biological boys and they're all just waiting for these, these two brothers to come join their family. And, and because these brothers wouldn't um, speak English at first, they learned Haitian Creole, they took some classes together, they learned all about the culture. Um, they wanted to make sure that, that even though they would be adopted in, in, in the great Republic of Texas, which they're also very proud about, um, they, would, they would be Haitian boys. And so they wanted to know about that culture. So they spent all this time getting ready and they're learning learning Creole, and there's even some fun stories through there where where they could celebrate and feel joyful even though their heart was in Haiti and waiting for these boys. But you know what didn't happen one time? They didn't get so into Creole or Haitian food that they forgot about their boys in Haiti. Now their boys in Haiti held their attention the entire time. Even though there were things to do in the here and now, even though they wished that day were here, their mind never waited, wavered from those boys. Friends, this is the key of kind of a theological framework of what it means to await eternity, to trust in God that his sustaining grace 
will bring this good work to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he'll do amazing things. He will take this broken body, and he will transform it, and, and we will be resurrected And we will be sinless. The the broken sin that weighs us down here, the broken relationships, the broken hurt, the broken pain, all of it will be gone. But the centerpiece is not what we will be like. The centerpiece is not what we will enjoy. The centerpiece is Jesus himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we'll wait a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, what it means to await heaven is not just to, to, to long to be rid of these hurts, and that's, that's part of it. It's not just to glory and to be comforted in the fact that when we lose somebody here, they truly are in a better place. No, the centerpiece is Jesus himself. And the way that we prepare for heaven here on this earth is to treasure Jesus above all other things. Um, there's a little picture um, that I think uh, kind of displays this a little bit. Um, any, any runners here? Any, my goodness. Okay, you are really, like, it's okay. It's okay. Put your hand out, okay? Um, I, I like to run, but I'm really slow. Um, but, but I found that because I'm a really stubborn person, I can, I can run a long ways without stopping. I'm not very fast in the short term, but I can run a long ways. Well, a few years ago, there was a marathon in Wuxi, China. I did not go because this was like a legit marathon with Olympic runners. Now, this race, um, the top two runners, it was, a men, it was the men's side, the top two runners on the men's side, they were neck and neck towards the end of the race. I mean, it was them and then a ways back was the third place guy. It was these two guys, they were neck and neck and, and one of them was gonna come in first and one of them was gonna come in second. And so um, they come up near the end and they see this crowd straight ahead and the streets are lined. Like This is a big city marathon and so there's all kinds of spectators. Um, you may not remember when, when, you know, before COVID, there were all kinds of spectators like in the street, but, but you went down the street and they could just see the crowds. They could hear the cheers. And, the, and they get down there and like, man, we've got to be near the end. And, and they're running straight on. The problem is, there's a little bend in the road towards the final finish line. And they both scream right past it. And by the time they could figure out what had happened, a race official kind of sent them in the right direction. I mean, like, these are international runners, so not everybody speaks the same language. The third place guy comes up behind them and just crosses the finish line. Now, here's the point. What it looks like, I believe, to have our mind set on earthly things rather than on Jesus himself, who, from whom we're waiting from heaven, is that we set this finish line here on earth. And we say, that is the ultimate goal. All right, if I can just attain this, if I can date her, if I can marry him, if I can just have that perfect family, whatever it might look like, if I can just get through this season, if I can just get through this job, if I can just finally afford this house, and that's the finish line. But you get close to the finish line and you realize, that's not really it. Like, it seems like it from a distance, it seems good, it seems like a worthy goal, but that's not the ultimate finish line, and you get there, and man, it just, just wasn't it. Some of you have discovered this. Some of you have crossed that imaginary finish line many times. 
You've, you've married that girl. You've married that guy. And it's really good, but, but that's not it. Man, I've, I've got to do this. And so you set the finish line at a different place. I've got to get this job. If I can just have this much money, I will feel safe and secure, like I can take care of my family. And on and on and on it goes, and you keep moving that finish line, when the reality is our finish line is in heaven. Friends, to set our mind on earthly things, it's not just to desire things or have things out of order. It's that Jesus himself is not our true treasure. And I believe that's why for people who would call themselves followers of Jesus, people who spend their time in church, this can be a really sneaky thing. You can go to church week after week. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm going to church. Got the name tag on, right? I'm stuck at home, but man, I'm, I'm there every 9.15, every 11 on Sunday. I'm there. But in reality, throughout the week, our mind is not set on Christ. It's set on whatever occupies us here on earth, and it's sneaky. Because it doesn't feel like your God is your belly. It doesn't feel like your mind is set on earthly things. But if you kind of dig a little deeper, you realize that you are not resting in God's sustaining grace to bring that good work to completion. Because you're not really worried about that. Um, there's a question I want to ask, um, and it's this. I think the one thing we need to ask ourselves, and this is for those who would call themselves followers of Jesus and, and maybe those who don't, is do you need to fi- change your finish line? Do you need to change your finish line? And what I mean is this. Have you in your mind set a finish line where if I can just attain this, if I can just do this, if I can just accomplish this, then it's all going to be okay, or I'm going to feel secure, or I'm going to feel significant. Your finish line should be treasuring Christ above all else. And as use Paul's language, you press on towards that goal. Right before this, he says, I, I don't believe I've attained that, but I press on towards that goal because he knows that there's nothing that is better than knowing Christ. Do you need to change your finish line? Now, for those of you who call yourselves followers of Jesus, a couple of words. Um, one, oftentimes we have a difficult time seeing this ourselves. So ask somebody, ask your spouse. Ask that um, annoying person who's always offering you criticism, whatever it might be, wherever you can get it from. Just say, hey, what do I treasure most in this world? What is my finish line? What am I striving for? What am I trying to attain that if I get there, you say, man, I, I think I'll be okay. And, and for those who spend a lot of time in church, this is the really sneaky thing. It's possible for our finish line to be that we want to be good church people, have that perfect looking family, Volunteer, give a little bit, be in a small group, 
be well thought of. In reality, it looks like we're treasuring Christ, but our real treasure in our mind is the applause of others. Friends, finish line needs to be Jesus himself. That we will not rest until we are hold of Jesus. Now here's the beautiful thing. Because it is sustaining grace, it is Jesus that is running that race for us. We just have to welcome him into our lives and treasure him above all else. If you're not a follower of Jesus, um, maybe all this talk about treasuring Christ above all else, you're like, ah, I'm not really into this. Let me just ask you this. Whatever the finish line is in your mind, because we all have it. If I can just do this, it, maybe it's something you've articulated or maybe it's just something, you know, a thought in your mind. If I can just do this, is that finish line, will it really satisfy? Because I believe that whether you've got that finish line in the future or maybe you've crossed a finish line after finish line and you realize, well, that didn't satisfy and that didn't satisfy and that didn't satisfy. I believe that that lack of satisfaction, of realizing that there's a finish line at all, points to the fact that our hearts belong to Jesus and we were meant to be with him. That God wants to begin a good work in you and bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ for eternity. Today, November 22nd, is a great day to begin that journey. Now, I want to wrap up with um, a story. Uh, if you've been around Flourishing Grace at all, you guys know the name Pat Zitting. If you're new, just, just hear me out. This is an amazing story. Pat Zitting um, is an amazing woman, and unfortunately, uh, earlier this year, um, she passed away. And during this season of COVID, uh, we've been unable to be able to have uh, a memorial service uh, the way that we would want to. And so we were thinking, man, at a certain point in time, we really need to remember and honor her in some way, even though we can't do a memorial service till 2021. Well, as we were preparing for this message, um, Josh Knight, our pastor for Preaching and Vision, said, man, this, this sounds a lot like Pat Zitting. If you've ever met Pat Zitting, Pat Zitting treasured Jesus above all else, and, and you knew it from day one. Whether it was because she was praying for you, or whether it was because every time you talked with her, she was talking about what Jesus was doing in her life. I can tell you, when I grow up, I want to be like Pat Zitting. So whether you've known Pat Zitting or you're, you're kind of new here and you don't know who this person is, we wanted to share a little bit about Pat's story. So we asked Randy Noyes, who's known Pat for decades, to share a little bit of her story, and you're going to see it right here. I met Pat Zitting about 30 years ago. Uh, it was a very snowy Sunday. I was driving down Main Street thinking I was going to go to a different church, but I saw this little church on 70 North Main in Bountiful and uh, went in and Pat Zitty was the first person I met. And if you know anything about my background, um, my wife is uh, LDS. And so when Pat asked me about my wife, I, I told her, you know, She's LDS, she probably won't ever be coming with me. And she, her, her response was, what's her name? I'd like to pray for her. And so that was my first encounter with Pat. 
That was the reason I stayed at Grace Baptist Church 30 years ago. So Pat had such a great love for Jesus that I, that if you, when you met her within two minutes, you knew she, she loved Jesus. She was a follower of Jesus. When you, when you meet her, when, when you talk to her, you would just think she is this nicest, lovingest person in the world. And she was, but it wasn't because of Pat. It was because of who she was in Christ. And she would be the first one to agree with me on that. It was her love for Christ and her love uh, for God that really gave her love for everyone else that she encountered. And she was a special, special woman, uh, a great friend to my parents, a great friend to uh, everyone in this church. The, the day after she fell, uh, my wife and I had went up to see her. My wife finished doing the weeding for her and I sat and visited with Pat. I would not have known she was in any pain at all that day. She didn't complain. She asked about my family. She told me some stories about uh, her and my mom doing Bible studies in the exact same place we were sitting. Um, she just, she didn't, she just wasn't a complainer. And, and so it was obvious that um, through those times of pain, Jesus was carrying her. So I think Pat looked forward uh, to being with Christ every day of her life since I've known her, so for the, the past 30 years. She just had this, this joy of, of knowing her Savior, knowing that that was going to be who met her uh, on the day she died. And I totally... It's sad that we, we weren't able to go visit her uh, because of COVID, uh, but I'm sure that she was telling Amy and Cheryl not to worry about her, that where she was going to be would be so much better than where they were going to be left. And um, because this is our temporary home, and she knew that. I, she shared that with everyone. Um, this is one of those messages where uh, it's difficult to know, and what do I do today? What do I do tomorrow? Where's the list? Where do you check it, check it off? Because ultimately, what needs to change when we talk about finishing, changing our finish line is what needs to change is the priorities in our hearts. What we love, what we treasure. And ultimately, what it means to trust that God will bring this work to completion on the day of Jesus Christ is that we treasure Christ above all else. And we say, I don't know what's going on now, I don't know what's gonna happen in the future, I don't know how many days I have, I don't know how many years I have, but every single breath, every single span, every single second, I will treasure Christ above all else because that is my finish line. Friends, may we be the kind of people, may we be the kind of church, may we be the kind of family, may we be the kind of community that when somebody meets us, just like when somebody would meet Pat, they would know I don't understand them, don't get their sense of humor, but man, they treasure Jesus above all else.
And while that finish line is in heaven, it makes a difference in the here and now. Paul, chapter one, verse six. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, um, I do confess that there, there are so many days when I get this wrong. And so for myself, God, I pray that your spirit would encourage, that your spirit would convict, that your spirit would show me where these loves are out of order. And that, Father, when, when, when my gaze is set on earthly things, that, Father, you would lift my gaze to you, to your son Jesus, that through your Holy Spirit, you would comfort me. May we be the kind of people that because our citizenship is in heaven, we seek your kingdom to come here on earth in the here and now. Help us set our eyes on you. Help us wait for our Savior. And Father, may we treasure him above all else. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Let all the people say, amen.